a chance. Yep. Down the middle, scores! Matias Yenmark, shorthanded goal. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at lvsportsnetwork.com. Puck comes out high, Watt gets the puck, off to the races, into the zone, the righty, right circle, backhander, he scores! What a move! Nicholas Watt gets the Knights back in the lead! is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman, live inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215, home of the... And there you have it, Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman with you today on this fine Wednesday as we will get into a lot of different topics. We'll have reactions from games last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The the second round opened up between the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. The defending Stanley Cup champions rolled through the Florida Panthers, and I don't think I was really seeing that one coming. Uh, We also have a a series to break down between the Colorado Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues, a first game for the books, especially for Jordan Binnington between the pipes. We'll look at tonight's games. You've got the Rangers taking on the Carolina Hurricanes. Then I think what everyone's waiting for here in the second round, the Battle of Alberta. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait for it. It is great appointment viewing tonight in the NHL, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, we're also going to bring Jesse Granger on from The Athletic. We're going to talk about all things Vegas Golden Knights, specifically coaching. And we'll get to some candidates. We'll get to uh, Jesse's dark horse and then a couple of other news and notes surrounding the Vegas Golden Knights today. Uh, we're, we're also going to get into the play of the day. We've got more post-mortems on the Boston Bruins, the Washington Capitals, and the Nashville Predators. And by the way, we've got one-timers and catching up with Chapman to wrap it all up. But without any further ado, and once he's ready to go, we will bring in Jesse Granger. And, and for me, really, like in talking to Jesse, I'm curious to see where he's going and what he expects this team needs behind the bench as we welcome in Jesse Granger with The Athletic. So, Jesse, I, I want to ask you first and foremost as we start the the interview. When you got the email on Monday morning, with enough time passing between the end of season availability and when we finally got the news on Pete DeBoer being relieved of his duty, like, did, did that one come out of nowhere? Did it come out of the blue for you? Uh, no, just because just because at end of season avail a couple weeks ago, um, I mean, Kelly McCrimmon and Pete DeBoer had all the opportunity in the world to come out and say he's our coach next year. And, and they were both asked about it and they both seemed unsure. So the fact that there was a lot of uncertainty there um, kind of led me down the path of like they're, they're actually considering making a coaching change. So um, while I wouldn't say I expected him to be fired, I definitely wasn't. It, it didn't come out of nowhere. So when, when you kind of parse through the answers we got from Kelly McCrimmon on Monday and the reasoning of, of looking toward next year and trying to, I, I guess for lack of a better term, hit the reset button and start fresh, like 
ultimately, what do you think it was that, that led to Pete DeBoer being relieved of his duties? Yeah, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I have no idea why they fired him because they refused to give a reason. Um, they, they basically, at end of season avail, two weeks ago, Kelly McCrimmon blamed, and Pete DeBoer, and to be honest, most of the players blamed this season on injuries. And it's easy to see why they blamed it on injuries. Um, that's definitely an understandable take to have. But they basically said, we did nothing wrong. The coaching staff did nothing wrong. We were hurt this year. So then, for the fact that Kelly McCrimmon obviously thought Pete DeBoer did a bad enough job to fire him, um, he wouldn't answer the other day why they fired Pete DeBoer. We asked him about 100 different ways. Um, I even tried asking him what he wants to see out of the new coach to maybe give some hints as to what Pete DeBoer was lacking in, and he wouldn't answer that either. So I don't know. Um, I do think that this this team, and I like to be honest, just just my own opinion of it, and I don't know if this is how Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee feel, but my opinion of it is I think Pete DeBoer is a great hockey coach. I think he understands the game incredibly well. I think his systems work. I think his systems fixed a lot of things that the Golden Knights were not doing as well when he got here. I just don't know if he's the if he's the coach to get this group of players to a Stanley Cup because I don't know if his offensive systems meshed well with these with these players. Um, I do think that the the scoring droughts that have ended the last couple seasons, I think Pete de- deserves at least a little bit of blame, and his systems deserve at least a little bit of blame for that. Um, so, so my thoughts are: I think Pete's a good coach. I think there are reasons to keep him, and I think there are there are some reasons that maybe they they thought they could could do better and maybe have a better fit. Um, despite what I think, I think like I said, I think Pete's a really good coach. So, like, there's there's two directions that you can take this, right? Because the Golden Knights, what they do very well is usually they they can take care of things defensively. They can transition the puck well, but it's the in zone offense that really is where they stagnate. So, the the two options I think that are on the table is you can double down on defensive responsibility and be a very very simple hockey team in that you're going to win every game two to one. I think more so Barry Trotz. Uh, And then you can go the opposite direction. You can lean into offensive productivity and really finding creativity in the offensive zone. If you had to guess, what direction do you think the Golden Knights are going to lean as they search for their next coach? Um, I think think they're probably going to try to stay similar. Um, I actually asked Kelly McCrimmon that exact question, basically. what are you looking for in the next coach? How, how different do you think this team needs to play to win? And he said, you all know what we look like when we play well. And to me, that tells me he's not thinking about changing stylistically the way this team plays. He said, we want to get them playing well. And you know what that looks like? Well, if we know what that looks like, you have to assume that that means what they did when they went to the conference finals and, and played against and, and beat Colorado. Um, or, or what they did on their way to that conference final in the bubble, although I don't know how impressive either of those series wins were against Chicago and Vancouver. You, you, you say that that's what we want to do. And if, if that's the case, it leads me down the, the path of probably a, a coach that is a little more defensive-minded like a Barry Trotz. Um, I think Barry Trotz is a phenomenal coach. I, I'd argue he might be the best coach in hockey, but he's also very, very similar to Pete DeBoer, and I don't know how much – he's going to fix the Golden Knights deficiencies. Um, obviously, I think we, we all think of the Islanders and we think of Barry Trotz and, and their shot suppression and not scoring a ton of goals. But he also led the Capitals to a Stanley Cup, and that team had plenty of offense. So um, maybe, maybe we're, we're selling Trotz's offensive mind a little short on that.
Yeah, it kind of helps when you have a guy who's going to pass Wayne Gretzky for the most goals all time right. on your roster. But, you know, we, we, <laughs> we, we kept hearing a lot of a new voice, a new voice, a new voice. That that kind of seemed like the theme. I, I just, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's me, but... This is now going to be the third time in, in, what, five, six seasons that this team is going to be searching for a new voice. Do you think it kind of makes the, the franchise maybe look a little impatient and, and maybe not very loyal when it when it comes to, to that new voice? Well, I, I think definitely impatient is a good word. I, I just, I mean, the story published 30 seconds ago. I just wrote a story basically saying, whoever they hire has almost impossibly high standards to, to face. And, and my, that was kind of the point I took from Kelly McCrimmon's press conference. He, he intentionally didn't say a lot, but I think when he, when Kelly McCrimmon gets up there and he says, we've had five seasons and we, and we've had five seasons of great coaching. And he says, I don't see how you can classify Pete DeBoer's tenure in, in Vegas as anything but a success. When he says things like that, to me, that tells me you can be a great coach in Vegas. You can do great things. You can win a Jack Adams Award. You can take an expansion team to a Stanley Cup final. You can make two straight Western Conference finals and have one bad season that the GM himself said was because of injuries. But if you, don't, if you can do all those things, all these great things, but if it doesn't end with you holding the Stanley Cup above your head, it's not good enough. And I think some people will see that as a negative and say, wow, they're impatient. They're, but I think some people will see that as a positive and say, this team doesn't settle for a coach that's very good. They want a coach that's going to win this team a Stanley Cup. And um, I don't, I mean, I'm going to let people listening decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But the, the expectations and the pressure on the next coach is quite frankly, it's going to be impossible to match up. I mean, it's a Stanley Cup or bust. And. They're, they're going to come in and ex- they're, they're going to expect you to come in and turn this team into a contender. And I'd argue that over the five years, this is the furthest this team has been from, from winning a Stanley Cup. Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us here with his reaction to the news earlier this week that the Vegas Golden Knights have relieved Pete DeBoer and Steve Spott and Ryan McGill of their coaching duties. The new search for a new coach is on right now for Vegas. Where they'll end up, that remains to be seen. But, you know, Jesse, I, I, I made the argument on the show earlier this week that perhaps bringing the expectations or dialing the expectations down would be a benefit for this hockey club going into next season because you've got still new pieces, right? Like this core has been molded and changed and added to, and it really hasn't had the consistency to grow as a collection of players. So in my estimation, I felt like next season, your main move was keep some semblance of consistency within the core and allow this team to build and grow as a team. And I think the the best way you do that is absent of lavish expectations. But the point that you're making is that whoever's coming in next, just by virtue of making this change, now three coaches in six seasons, the pressure is only dialing up. And, and do you believe that's the right move for this collection of players as they navigate the first time missing the playoffs in franchise history? I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, like if when as a organization, when you say what Gerard Gallant and Pete DeBoer did here is not good enough, um, it's 
that's a terrifying proposition for a coach because those two coaches are, in my opinion, both incredible hockey coaches, and they both did a lot of good things here, but they both had their deficiencies. I don't know. Like I, I, at one, a part of me says getting a new coach that can, that can get more out of this group is a good thing, but you can't do that and lower the expectations. Um, the, fact that they, the fact that they let these two coaches go after what they did tells you what the expectations are. So I, I, don't, I honestly don't think it's possible to, to have both. I do totally agree with you that a quiet offseason, as quiet as possible, is, is what this team needs in terms of player personnel. I think they've had some, some offseasons where they made big moves. They've had some offseasons where they were quiet, usually after making an acquisition the year prior. I think that Jack Eichel trade last season kind of leads you to believe that this is going to be a quiet offseason. They are going to have to make some moves. Um, they're already over the cap, and they still have four restricted free agents to sign. So there will for sure be at least one trade, maybe more trades, um, to shed some salary caps. So you've got that. But I think the, the least amount of damage you can do to the roster while making those trades is ideal. And I think not bringing any extra players in outside of the system is probably the best thing that can happen for this team right now. I think letting these guys get used to each other and not shaking it up anymore is probably the the better direction. You know, Jesse, something I found a little peculiar and when Gerard Gallant was fired, Mike Kelly was fired with him. Pete DeBoer's fired Ryan McGill and um, um, Steve spot are fired with him. Ryan Craig has survived these two regimes the first time when Gallant was fired, Dave Pryor uh, maybe still on assignment somewhere, but now Mike Rosati <laughs> needs to basically interview with the new head coach. So, so what is it about Ryan Craig that makes the, the that had gone into the decision to maybe keep him around through two regimes? And uh, what is what is what do you think the future holds for Mike Rosati? Yeah, uh, with Ryan Craig, I think that's a great question, Chris, and it's honestly a question I'm asking right now. I'm, I'm, I've been asking people around the team, around the league, because I, I, I honestly, I want to know the answer. Um, I think what it is is I think the things we don't see, like we, we judge the coaches by their results, and the assistant coaches especially, they, they don't really have any results to, to judge them off of. It's hard to, to grade the, the performance of an assistant coach based off of just what we're watching on the ice. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, I think Ryan Craig is popular amongst the players. Um, I, I, I base that off of just watching them interact with him during practice. Uh, the players love Ryan Craig. I think the, the coaching staff thinks he's a bright young coach that they can kind of bring up through their system and, and continue to mold. Obviously, he was very young in his coaching career when he came to Vegas. So I think that his age has a factor in it. I think Maybe the, the relationships he's made with some of the players, and they think, look, we're going to start over this team. We've, like, like I was just saying with Ryan, they've been shaking this team up for four years. They're trying to add, add some continuity. Obviously, you're not getting that when you bring a new coach in and a new staff in. There's a lot of change. So I think maybe they're thinking, look, maybe we should keep one of these guys to, to help bridge that gap. To, to, when the new coaching staff comes in, Craig is the guy they can lean on. Hey, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about this guy? He's known all these players for a long time. So I think that kind of helps um, give some continuity when they're bringing in a whole new staff. And, and maybe he was just the guy they picked in terms of Mike Rosati. It's going to be interesting. I think um, the reason they, they let go of Dave Pryor and kept Mike Rosati is Pete DeBoer wanted more control over the starting goalie than Gerard Glant did. Gerard Glant was a hands-off, you know what? The goalie coach decides everything with the goalies. I don't want anything to do with it. And, and that was Dave Pryor. And, and then I think Pete DeBoer came in and he, he said, you know what? I want a little more control over my goaltending. Um, 
I'm going to be the one that answers for the results. So I want a say in it. And I think that was why they moved to Mike Rosati. It's going to be interesting to see what the next coach is. I mean, every coach is different. It's going to depend on kind of how much control they want over the goaltending decisions, I think. In an ideal world, what do you think it should be? Do you think it should be head coach taking control of all of those decisions? Or you have a goalie coach for a reason, let them handle goaltending. Yeah, I think a, a combination of both, but I lean more towards the I, – I do think – like I, the, the way Gallant handled it was strange to me. The fact that the head coach of the team – I mean, the most important position on the ice, the, the position that determines whether you win or lose more than anything and the head coach wants nothing to do with it, that's a little strange to me. But I also think that he, he's kind of realizing his limitations and saying, look, I don't know goalies that well. Let me let a guy who's done nothing but teach goalies his whole life decide it. So I, I think the head coach should probably have some say, but I think that in most cases the goalie coach is going to have a better uh, understanding of what's happening with the goalies so you, so you lean on their expertise. All right, Jesse. Uh, a, a bit was made of the relationship maybe, especially towards the end of the season with Robin Leonard and, and Pete DeBoer. So – how much, I, I, I guess, repair work is going to need to be done in the offseason between the front office and Robin Leonard, or do you think that everything's good? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it, to be honest, it doesn't really matter what the front office's relationship is with the player. I think the coach's relationship with the player matters a lot more, um, and, and obviously it's going to depend on who they hire. Uh, Barry Trotz had a phenomenal uh, history with Robin Leonard. Robin Leonard was a Vezina finalist and uh, won the Jennings Trophy in, on Long Island with Trotz coaching that team. So clearly they, they uh, have a history together. So I, I honestly don't know. I think it's going to depend on the coach. It's, we haven't spoken to Robin Leonard in a while since all that went down. Maybe things have calmed down. Maybe it's a non-issue to him. Um, I honestly don't know. So, Jesse, when we start to allow ourselves to think about coaches, right? Like I think the, the obvious choices are Barry Trotz. That's the one that, that's been most linked to the Vegas Golden Knights just simply because it's the best coach not coaching right now in the NHL. Um, John Tortorella has been mentioned. Rick Tockett's been mentioned. Like if you were looking at it and you, you've got those three, I'll, I'll throw out the three T's, like which of those three, Trotz, Torts, and Tockett, do you think makes the most sense for wringing the most out of this team to get them to a Stanley Cup? Man, I, I'll tell you this. I'm glad I don't have to make the decision. Um, <laughs> it's, it's because, because part of me says Barry Trotz is the best coach. And, and, I've, and I've been saying it while he was on Long Island. I was blown away that they fired him. Just absolutely yeah. blown away that they fired Barry Trotz. Um, he was phenomenal in Washington. He took a team that, like the Golden Knights, could not get over the hump, and he gave them that extra. He just gave them that extra 1% that they needed to beat the Penguins, and that was what it took, and they went on that run. And then he goes to Long Island, a team that hadn't been competitive in a long time, and they had just lost Tavares, and there were so many reasons that that team was going to suck, and they went to back-to-back -back conference finals. Um, I, I just, I think the world of Barry Trotz's coaching ability, but then there's this small part of me that says, are you really going to fire a good coach that, that couldn't get a power play going and, and maybe struggled on offense to hire another great coach who doesn't have a great power play and isn't an offensive mind. I don't, I mean, like talk it to me, like the, the positives for talk it, um, to me, I, I don't think they should hire Tortorella if they do, um, I, I think there are positives to his coaching style, but I, I, it wouldn't, yeah. that, that wouldn't be my choice. If you want a fresh voice in the room that's going to unite this team on a playoff run, I don't know if Tortorella is the guy. 
Um, talk it to me interests me because in all sports, not just hockey, but pretty much sports in general, when you fire a coach, they like to go the opposite way. You saw it in Vegas. They, they fired the fiery, pumped-up former player in Gerard Glant, and they went with the buttoned-up lawyer um, in Pete DeBoer, who's a very, very opposite-style coach. I think if you're going to do that again and go back, swing back the other way towards the fiery former player that can fire this team up, you, you say you want a new voice, you want – this team to play with a chip on its shoulder? Well, Rick Tuckett's that guy. I mean, he's one of the only players in NHL history with 400 goals and over a thousand. I mean, sorry, over, over, he's the, I think he has the fifth most penalty minutes in league history, something like that. The, the, the guy is, the players will respect him in the room. He's a fiery guy. He's, a, he's, a, he's the rah-rah, get a new voice in there, get these guys to run through a wall for him. That's Rick Tuckett. So, um, I, to me, it would be between those two, between Trotz and Tockett. If you, if you made me choose right now today, and, and I, this team has to win the Stanley Cup this year, I think I'd take Barry Trotz. So the thing with Tockett, too, is like not, not as a head coach, but like his track record as an assistant with star players like Guinea Malk and Phil Castle, like Sidney Crosby, like he yep. was a fixture on those Penguins teams, right? Like there's experience mm-hmm. gained there, obviously close quarters with, with uh, Mike Sullivan. Like those to me are, are maybe more uh, more important for the idea of, of Rick Tockett because he just understands how to get the most out of elite players. Yeah. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree with you. Um, he's, he's seen how those players elevate their games in the playoffs. He's seen mm-hmm. what it takes to... to the, the Penguins were a high-flying scoring team, and, and they found ways to score in the playoffs. We've seen high-scoring teams not find ways. We're watching the Florida Panthers struggle through it right now. Um, <laughs> I think Tockett has, has been around those star players and, and seen how they get it done in the playoffs better than pretty much any group of star players you can think of. I guess Tampa's coming up to them. But, um, yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I really like Tockett. I think he's a great fit. I think Tockett would be a, would, would be a solid hire. You know, I want, I want to go back to something you said earlier, and I, I tend to agree with you, but it was that you feel that this team is further away from winning a Stanley Cup than maybe they've ever been. I'm curious why you feel that way, and if you think a, a, a new head coach could, could make that much of a difference for this team. Yeah, I mean, like the, the simple answer is they missed the playoffs, but obviously there are reasons for that. And, and I could see someone arguing, well, they missed the playoffs, but they, when they're healthy, they have more talent than any of those other teams. But talent doesn't win Stanley Cups. Um, a good team does. And to me, down the stretch, I think we haven't really talked enough about that. Now, Mark Stone was not himself. Max Pacioretty was coming off a long layoff. Jack Eichel might have been playing with a broken finger. There are reasons for why they struggled, but they still... They had a pretty healthy team down the stretch, and they looked absolutely horrific on the ice. Now, do I think this team's going to look like that next year? No, not at all. But there's a lot of space in between where they looked and winning the Stanley Cup. There is a lot of space, and there's a lot of improvement that needs to happen. And I think it's going to take a lot of good coaching to get this talented roster. I'm not denying they're not talented. They're very talented, but it's going to take some very good coaching to get them to, to click in a, in a good enough way to win the Stanley Cup, and they don't have a lot of time. This is not a young team. You, this isn't a project that you're, that you're taking over when you, when you take this job. It's a figure out how to win with these guys right now, this very second. And I think I look at the depth on this team, and they, they all said, all the players said, we want to get back to playing four lines. We want to get back to rolling as a team. We want to play, use our depth. 
And I hear all that, and then I look at the salary cap, and I say, man, you've got three players making up 28% of your salary cap. You're already over the cap. You're going to have to trade some players to shed it. I don't know if they're going to have the depth required to, to play that kind of way. So the answer is, can they get the players that they have to, to be good enough to roll four lines, or do they change their strategy? And that's going to be up to management. It's going to be up to the new coach, whoever that is. Um, but to me, when I say they're the furthest they've been away from a Stanley Cup, I think it's because other editions of the Golden Knights that didn't win, I think it was small tweaks away from it. I think you, you could look at those teams and say, look, a, a, a couple more power play goals, and they beat Montreal, and they're right there. Um, that, that They lost in the finals to Washington. It was like, man, this team, if, if that puck off Alex Tuck's stick doesn't hit Braden Holtby's paddle, they might have won the Stanley Cup. I think it was, there was very small tweaks that need to be made. And now suddenly you look at this team, and I, and I think there's a lot of change that needs to be made and, and, and a lot of improvement that has to happen. Not saying it's not possible, but, but there's some room to there's – some, there's some work to be done. Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us here as we break down – different candidates the thought process that's going to go into the next coach for the Vegas Golden Knights and you know you, you said talent the most talented team isn't necessarily what wins you a Stanley Cup it's the best team with the next coach like how, how much of it is you have to believe in the next guy's ability to turn a collection of talent individuals into a cohesive unit almost overnight because as you mentioned like Golden Knights are are not getting any younger. The window is is open, but it's it's open for a period of time. Uh, I think you need to win in the next two years. So, how, yeah. how much of it is is getting a guy that can really piece this together in a way that brings that cohesive team hockey in, into the fold? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite the challenge. I feel like I've been pretty negative, so I'm gonna go positive spin on this one. Um, <laughs> if if you're a coach coming into this team and, and you're you're saying yeah. to yourself, all right, we've we've got to make this like you said, a collection of of players moving towards the same goal, all feeling it. They've they've got to have confidence in their power play. They've got to have confidence with the puck offensively. I think it's set up to like if they pull all the right strings, they can absolutely do it. I mean. Mark Stone mentioned, I, I, one of the most interesting comments on Locker Cleanout Day was from Mark Stone, and he mentioned that last training camp, it felt like they had barely been gone and all these compressed seasons, and, and he didn't feel like they had a good training camp, a sharp training camp, and he didn't directly say it, but I think in his mind he was saying, we didn't want to be here at training camp, because yeah. then right after that he said, look, we've got four months off, we don't usually have this. I think when guys get back to the rink, and he said, I've been on teams that, that didn't make the playoffs, and in Ottawa there are plenty of them. And he said, when we got back to the rink after four months off, we were, there, was a, there was so much energy and so much excitement to be back. And I do think that this upcoming training camp is going to be massive for this team. Um, usually veteran teams don't – training camp is kind of just a waste of time. Let's not get hurt. Let's get to the regular season. I think for this team, I think a new coach comes in, you've got so much talent. Like we, we've said the deficiencies in this team, but when you look at it, it's an absolutely embarrassing amount of talent that this team has on the ice. Yeah. Like it's disgusting. They're so good. Jack Eichel, Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, Mark Stone, it's, it goes on and on and on. You get a, a group that talented, you give them four months – not being able to play hockey, watching all these other teams do what they wish they were doing right now. And they're, all their bumps and bruises are, are 
fully fine. They're feeling great. They're excited to come to the rink. I think if you can start from day one, an excitement, a look at this group we've got, guys, talented, excited players. If you pull the right strings, you get the right system to get them playing at their fastest, at their best, I think this team can be really, really, really good. You know, we talked about the, the big three in Trots, Tortorella, and Tockett. Do you have a dark horse? Yeah, I, I included a couple of them. And, and, and when I say dark horse, these are guys that I think should be up for coaching jobs. I don't know if they're yeah. – I, I think the Golden Knights are going to go with a coach that has prior NHL head coaching experience just because yeah. it's hard to justify to Bill Foley, who is about as aggressive of an owner as you can get. It's hard. I feel like it's hard for George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon to sell to Bill Foley. Look, we're getting rid of Pete DeBoer, the guy who just won his 500th game, um, and we're going to hire a first-time coach to – to run this team that's expected to win a Stanley Cup. I think that is a tough sell. So I, I don't expect guys like this to get hired, but a couple people that interested me were uh, Ricard Gronberg, who is a name that a lot of NHL fans may not know because he's never coached in the NHL, but he is the one who really, he, he had been the coach of the Swedish national team for the last, I don't know, 10 years. And he was a big part of the, the rise in Swedish hockey. I mean, they went from just a good good team to a power that can compete with Canada and the U.S. And I thought Ricard Gronberg was a big part of that. I like his progressive philosophies and styles. When I see him in interviews, he seems like a, a very player-friendly, forward-thinking guy that kind of, when you, when you say fresh voice, to me, Ricard Gronberg screams fresh voice. Um, now, there's some I, I risk agree with, with that. You on Does that. His, say what? I, I agree with you on that because, to, to me, I want to go back to the commentary that you had on on depth, right? Because you're going to need young players to step yes. into roles, even bigger roles than they already have. You're talking about needing more progression from Nick Waugh, needing more progression from Brett Howden and Nolan Patrick and Zach Whitecloud. Because when you're that close to the salary cap, you need guys on cheaper deals to perform. And, and, and a guy like Gronberg, to me, is a coach that should be able to meet those players where they are and develop them to a higher level than they're currently at. For sure. For sure. I, I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about him. I think there are risks. Um, I mean, he's coached on Olympic style yeah. ice. Who knows if his, if, if that style works in, in NHL ice, he doesn't even know to be completely honest. So and then another guy that, that excites me, um, who's kind of under the radar, but I think deserves it for sure, at least an interview, is uh, Spencer Carberry. And he's an assistant for the Maple Leafs. And this year was his first year being an, a coach of any kind in the NHL. He was, it's his first year assistant. But when you look at this guy's track record, he got hired in the ECHL by the Carolina Stingrays, a team that hadn't done anything for years. And they immediately turn into a playoff team. He wins coach of the year in the ECHL. So he gets... Promoted, he gets upgraded to the AHL. He takes over the Hershey Bears, who had finished in last place the year before he got there. Uh, they went to the playoffs every year under him. He was named AHL Coach of the Year. Dude has done nothing but succeed every step of the way. He gets to Toronto. The Maple Leafs power play, and he's a, he's a power play specialist. The Maple Leafs power play, obviously, ton of talent on that power play. But they finished yeah. 16th in the NHL the year before, despite all that talent, um, which sounds familiar to Vegas fans here. And he came in, he took over Toronto's power play, and they scored. They, they led the, the entire league in, in power play percentage at 27.3%, which is not only the best this year, it's the fourth best power play of any team since 1990. 
Um, that mm-hmm. Toronto power play is ridiculous. So to me, Kelly McCrimmon said, we're not hiring a coach to fix any deficiencies. Um, that may be true. But if this team is looking to hire someone to fix this power play and get some offensive flow going, I think Spencer Carberry, a guy who has no experience at this level, it would be a massive jump. It is a risk, but I think he's shown at other stops he's a good coach, and I think he's shown in the NHL that he knows how to run a good power play. All right, Jesse, uh, I'm not going to ask you for like a, a prediction on who you think the next coach is going to be because, to to be honest, like, we were all in the room. There, there's too much unknown to really have an idea of what direction the Golden Knights are leaning. I think that there is a direction that they're leaning. I just don't know which one it is, so I'm not going to put yeah. you out there like that. But I, I do want to open it up just to, to your thoughts so far on the first round of the playoffs that concluded over the weekend. Five game sevens over the course of Saturday and Sunday. Um, it, it, like, has, has anything stood out to you out of the first round into maybe that first the, the first games yesterday in the second round that, that you want to to jump on or, or talk about here because to me the first round though there were early lopsided games those game sevens were fantastic all five of them yeah that's that's kind of where I was going to go is like it, it, it had a slow start like it was a slow burn early on it was like okay these are the Stanley yeah. Cup playoffs and the games are over in the second period every night like what's going on here but we, we were patient and we were, we were uh, rewarded with, with an unbelievable amount of game sevens in, in a two day frame. Like I will, I'll never forget that those two days, that was incredible. And we had some overtimes. It was, it was a lot of fun. They've, they've been great. Um, my, I'm so pumped for the second round. I think despite what happened last night, I think St. Louis is going to give Colorado a series. Obviously we've got the battle for Alberta tonight, which is going to be phenomenal, not just because of the hatred and the rivalry, but I mean, 100-point guys all over everywhere you look. With Kachuk and Gaudreau and Dreisaitl and McDavid, it's like there's so much skill on the ice. Milan Lucic is going to try to kill everyone. I am so pumped for that series. And then in the East, um, I I don't know if the Rangers can hang with Carolina. They did score early to take an early lead here. But uh, I I don't know if Carolina – I don't know if that series is going to be good. But, man, that battle in Florida between Tampa and Florida is going to be really good. These playoffs have been – have gotten better as they've gone on, and I think they're going to keep – going in that direction and just keep getting better and better. I'm, I'm really pumped for this second round. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm pumped for the Battle of Florida. Just tell the Panthers to show up. Okay, that's, that's all yeah. I'm asking for. Game two, have the Panthers show up. Jesse, you've been more than gracious with your time. Thanks for jumping on here. Uh, get out of here. Watch some hockey. Uh, and, and real quick, let people know where they can find your stuff. Yeah, theathletic.com. Uh, lots of stuff coming up. He, I, like I said, I just posted a story about the expectations the new coach will be facing, and I'll have a mailbag uh, running tomorrow morning. You can ask me any questions, and I'll answer them all later in the week. So uh, go sign up at theathletic.com. All right, great stuff as always with Jesse Granger from The Athletic. Thanks so much to Jesse. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes as we look at the Con Smythe candidates that we think are in the running after the first round of the playoffs. We are back with more next on the VGK Insider Show right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. VGK Insider Show. The New York Rangers up one to nothing on the Carolina Hurricanes. First period, Philip Heedle. The goal. 
Uh, Hedel Lafreniere, like the the kid line for the New York Rangers has been very good so far through the uh, through the postseason. But you know, Philip Hedel continuing to to find ways to help out the Rangers, who started the game incredibly well. Like they were they were skating, they were checking. Uh, Carolina started to get their legs going about the the midway point of the period. But right now, it is the New York Rangers up one to nothing on the Carolina Hurricanes late in the first period. And later tonight, 6.30 p.m., puck drop. The Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames, the Battle of Alberta. Oh, boy, it's going to be fantastic. So I figured right now, because as, as is usually the case when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoff, we want to talk about the, the big award not the stanley cup the con smythe we want to know who is leading the charge right now for playoff mvp so chris chapman i'm going to open it up to you i don't know how many names you have down there i don't know how many guys you're going to argue for right now but go ahead and give me your leading candidates this moment all right for the con smythe trophy so right now my number one guy is jacob markstrom his goals against average okay. through seven games is ridiculous. It's one that point. I was playing the Stars. It, it, it doesn't matter, though. He, he played seven he games. He was playing the Stars. His save percentage is point nine four three. He He's, he, he's, he's Chapman, a big part of the reason why. Chapman, Chapman, you, the you, Stars going into the playoffs had a negative goal differential. I, I, I understand that, but but they still took Calgary to seven games. If it, If it's not... If it's not uh, Jacob more, Markstrom, more to do with Jake Ottinger. You, you've well, got you've uh, but, got a goalie, but you've got the wrong goalie. I, I look, he he's been outstanding, and I think if Calgary maybe doesn't have Markstrom, right? Like if, if he goes down in Game One, they probably don't win that series. Mm-hmm. No, probably not. That's so, that's fair. That's fine. So I, I I have him on the list. A guy a, a guy right now that I also have on the list. However, I. <laughs> Well, when we get to reactions, we'll see how much longer he stays on the list. But Carter Verhage's had a really good postseason for the Florida Panthers. Yeah. He's got 12 points, six goals, I believe. So he he's producing both with pucks in the net and providing uh, dimes for 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 guys to score. And then the third name I'm going to put on the list, and and I have a feeling this one may may anger some people. Okay, Evander Kane. Aside from the really? fact that he's got seven goals. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the timeliness of some of his goals because he mm-hmm. scored the tying goal in game six. He scores the empty netter, and, of course, he does the infamous uh, seven with his fingers. I'm not sure yep. if that was for seven goals or because we're going to a game seven. I don't know if we ever found out about that. But he's no, also got a, because it was going to game seven. But he's also got a game-winning goal in, this, in, in that series, too. So mm-hmm. uh, aside from the hat trick, He's he's provided timely goals and he's got a game winning goal. So I, I I think it's hard to overlook the fact that he's got seven goals and the Edmonton Oilers are still playing. They won in the first round. They probably again, I don't know if they make it through that series without a Vander Kane. They're probably not. They probably don't have home ice, and I know we don't we don't count that. That doesn't matter, but he's been so good for that team. And I think he's mm-hmm. a big part of the reason why they are where they are right now. Again, we'll 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 see what happens. When, when he goes up against a, a better team than mm-hmm. the, the L.A. Kings. But right now, those are the three guys I think are leading in, in the, uh, the, the race for uh, Conn Smythe. Let me ask you a question. Yes. You have to take Connor McDavid and his production off of the Oilers in the first round, or you have to take Evander Kane and his production off of the Oilers in the first round. 
what scenario produces the result of the Oilers winning? Well, considering the Edmonton Oilers had not won a first-round series in in multiple years, right? You look at the... <laughs> You're going to say Evander Kane? I, I'm going to say, yeah. It, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but look, we've seen this team with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Look, Dreisaitl's banged up. Someone had to step up, and it was Evander Kane who stepped up mm. for them. I, I, It sounds ridiculous, but mm-hmm. I think if it's just Connor and Leon, I think they're home. I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't dislike the Evander Kane idea, but Connor McDavid is my running away favorite right now for the Smythe. And the reason being is Connor McDavid single-handedly won Game 7. Single-handedly won Game 7. Like there, there was no denying Connor McDavid in Game 7 and even Game 6, scoring just a minute into the game, setting the tone on that first shift. Connor McDavid was next-level brilliant in Game 6 and 7 with his team facing elimination. Game 7, he was the best player on the ice, maybe the best player that's ever played a game. That might have been the best single performance from an offensive player ever. Connor McDavid is the reason that the Edmonton Oilers are in the second round. And you know how I don't like to give Connor his due? He was (laughs) transcendent in the first round. 14 points in seven games four goals, 10 assists. He was phenomenal in game number seven. I thought he dipped in games three and four. He was phenomenal the rest of the way, and that was the challenge that he had to meet. Uh, beyond Connor, I mean, it's no surprise I'm going to go with Kale McCarr. I think you you, you look at uh, averaging two points through your first five games in the playoffs, that's special as a forward, let alone as a defenseman. It's It's ridiculous. Uh, three goals, seven assists, ten points in five games for Kale McCarr. He is the straw that stirs the drink in Colorado. I know we all point to Nathan McKinnon and we all point to you know Miko Rantanen and Nazem Kadri and Gabe Landeskog, but none of it really works without Kale McCarr. He is the engine that makes that team go more than any other player. So he's been phenomenal. I, I think Kale's on my short list for sure. And then the other one I'm going to go with, and it's not too far off of your Evander Kane thought, it's Ryan O'Reilly. You've got six goals in seven games, and you've scored in five straight playoff games. That gives you a a real quick shoot up the list in terms of uh, most important, most valuable to your team. Ryan O'Reilly does it in such a quiet way, but the guy knows how to win. He's a winner, and that's what he's been able to provide for the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I, I like O'Reilly as well. I think he's he's... Clearly a, re, a, a big part of the reason why the St. Louis Blues were able to eliminate the Minnesota Wild in, in, in six games. Uh, he's a guy who, who who understands what it means to perform in the playoffs. So I, I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, you know, it's going to get a lot more interesting as these as these games progress and these series progress to see how guys step up now now that the pressure's starting to, to peak up a little bit. But I think Ryan O'Reilly's a guy who can handle it. I mean, he's done it before, so there's no reason to doubt that he wouldn't be able to. Again, uh, I, I, I will put this out there. I don't think there's anyone from Tampa right now who, who really stands out. But as they progress through, assuming they get through the Florida Panthers, it's going to be interesting to see which guys from Tampa jump onto this list and which oh, guys... I'll tell that- you who. I'll tell you who. The goalie. It'll be Corey Perry. No, it'll be Corey Perry. <laughs> he had a good I'm not, game I'm, last night. I'm not night. kidding. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. The Tampa Bay Lightning, right now with Braden Point banged up, 
with Nikita Kucherov not really looking like Nikita Kucherov most nights, it's going to be a collection. It's going to be Andre Vasilevsky. If they end up winning again, it'll be Vasilevsky because he's going to be the constant variable. If it's not Vasilevsky, it's going to be Nick Paul or it's going to be Corey Perry. I'm telling you that right now because those two guys are going to show up in the biggest moments for that team, and it's happened already. Yeah, I I, I mean, they're, they're so deep. In so many areas, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. the, you know, you start with Net Vasilevsky's just unbelievable, and this is now yep. his time to shine. Uh, two goals allowed in his last two games. Uh, I, I'm trying to think how many he allowed in Game Six. It doesn't matter, but you know, he he's starting to to get into his groove, and that's a team they they buzz sawed through Florida last night. Florida looked lifeless, and I know we'll get to it in the second hour, but. Mm-hmm. Man, they they have the opportunity right now to to start to scare some people. I think. Just so you're aware, Chapman, Rita is not happy with you. I know, I know. She's not an Evander Kane fan. I don't blame her. I'm uh, not. I'm not either. Right now, right, right now, Chapman, she's not a you fan. Well, not at all. <laughs> I'm sorry, not even Rita. a little bit. <laughs> all right, those are our leading candidates right now for the Con Smythe Trophy, the MVP of the Stanley Cup playoffs. We're back with the play of the day next on the VGK Insider Show. No chance to shoot for Stevenson centered. Eichel scores. It's time for the play of the day on the VGK Insider Show. Play of the day comes from the Colorado and St. Louis series opener last night. Certainly the best game of the night uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it took 54 shots on goal to finally get the win. But Josh Manson, an incredibly poised play to win it for the Avalanche. Here's Manson. Gerard, his shot tips. Dave Bennington rebound. He got that one too. Kadri had the follow-up. Bennington fell over. Here's Manson. Bennington's reset. Manson scores! Josh Manson wins game one! For the Avalanche, they've got two in this game. And here's the playoff to draw. Landeskog with a powerful move, but he gets nullified. Plays it back to the point. And great patience by the defenseman Manson after this play develops and Bennington makes a number of great saves. He loses his balance right there, Shane, but he gets himself back up. Uh, great patience by Manson at the point. He just gets this through and through a bunch of bodies in front. There's three white play, like bodies in front of him, the Blues players, and just one, Landeskog standing in front, and that's up over the left shoulder. What a shot by Manson. No chance there for Jordan Bennington. It was just a great play from the Colorado Avalanche. Bennington had to come up with a couple of saves. The Avalanche keep the puck alive, go low to high. Josh Manson, ordinarily, any other defenseman is going to just put that one right on net. But Manson holds on to it, holds on to it, allows the screens to set up in front of Jordan Bennington. And then he just sifts one through to the back of the net for his first career Stanley Cup playoff goal, and it is a good one for the Colorado Avalanche, giving them a one nothing series lead over the St. Louis Blues. We're back with our number two on the VGK Insider Show right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas.